0: Well this morning we continue in our Joy Story series. This is number three in the series and we're just taking our time to go through uh, the book of Philippians verse by verse and letting God use it to speak to us and look at how we can be challenged and stretched through it. And as you turn to Philippians chapter one or you open it on Version, I um, this past week was flipping through Time Magazine. I'll get Time Magazine and just look at the different articles that are there and sometimes different ones will catch my eye. And I had one article catch my eye, a very short article, just a little bit of information in it, and it stood out to me, and the article described an event that occurred in Russia recently. And that event was a true story, was that shortly after takeoff, a Russian cargo plane had taken off, and after after takeoff, it had a malfunction in the cargo door, whether it would be a a human error or, or mechanical malfunction, but it had a malfunction in the cargo door, so the door opened, and it deposited... Um, all of its cargo across a span of Russia, and that might not sound like any big issue, other than the cargo plane was transporting 3.4 tons of gold. So, with its malfunction, that 3.4 tons of gold is the equivalent of 170 72 gold bars, or a total totaling about 15 million dollars. Now, can you just imagine for a moment, you're standing in your yard, and a gold bar comes flying down and just lands in your yard. It's like it's raining gold from heaven. How how much more of an answer to prayer can you get, right? And I had, as I read the article, I had this thought hit me, and it wasn't intended to be a funny thought, but it just hit me. It said the, the same process that deposited gold all across that span of Russia had the potential to bless or harm individuals depending on how they received it. <laughs> I think everybody would love to find a bar of gold. I don't think anybody would want to catch a bar of gold. But the, the same process had the ability to harm Or bless, depending, or be, or bless or enrich depending on how the individual received it. And when you think about what we looked at last week in the book of Philippians and what we're going to look at today, last week we talked about hardship and difficulty that comes into our lives, the challenges that come our way, and circumstances perhaps that we end up in that we don't intend nor want to be in. Perhaps it's from others' choices, it's just the circumstances of life. But I would say that what is true about the bars of gold is also true about the circumstances that come our way in life. That every circumstance that comes our way in life comes the same way, and it has the potential to bless or harm depending how we choose to receive it. Depending what's happening in our hearts and what's happening in our spirits. Last week we took time to look at the Apostle Paul as he was sitting in a prison cell and we looked at five things that spilled over from his life, kind of just the overflow of his heart, the overflow of his soul. And we took those as five assessment points in our lives to examine our joy, to examine our trust, to examine a number of things that, that really we could look at. And I would encourage you to, to look at that. This morning, I would like to continue from that line of thinking, looking and thinking about the things happening in our hearts, and this time not so much on examining the things that spill over out of our lives from hard, hardship and hard circumstances circumstances, but rather to take time and think about the impact or what those things reveal that come out of our lives, and three specific things that I believe they reveal or impact in our lives. But let's first look at this. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. We're going to look at a larger section, so I want to read verses 12 through 26, and then we'll come back and just talk about these verses for a couple of moments. I'll give you three things to consider. Beginning in verse number 12. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincere, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted, or some translations will say Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as game. That through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Again, I know a larger section, but I just want to show you three things and we'll look at some of these just say in groups and in clumps of verses, but they help highlight the things that we want to look at this morning. But when it comes to the things that come out of our lives when you and I encounter hardship, hardship is a given in life. Difficult circumstances are a given in life. Again, whether it be from your own choices, whether it be from the choices of others, or rather it just be the flow of life and where life is happening around you, that you're going to encounter those things. And so as we talked about last week, looking at the things that flow out of our lives this morning, I want you to look at the things, the three areas that are impacted based on what comes out of your life. And the first thing is I believe how you handle your circumstances reveals a lot about your faith. That how you choose to handle your circumstances really is a litmus test, it's a revealer, of your faith. Look in verse 19. There's a number of verses we could look at uh, from this passage that we're looking at, but just to highlight one, verse 19, Paul says this, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says this with assurance. He says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit, things are going to be okay. It's not a matter of he has this hopeful thinking. It's not a matter of wishful thinking. Rather, he's moving with this assurance that because he knows that God's people are praying and he knows the provision of the Holy Spirit that God has promised and is inside of him, he knows that things are going to turn out. Now, something that's interesting to think about those two things that God's people are praying and the provision of the Holy Spirit, those two things generally are completely unseen. So Paul is sitting in his prison cell He's chained to guards, we'll look at that in a moment, but he's chained to guards, and he says, my hope is anchored in things that I cannot see. My hope is anchored in something that is quite opposite of what my circumstances around me would tell me. He says, I I trust in the faithfulness of God's people praying, really puts weight on when someone expresses a need to you, and you say, well, I'll keep that in prayer. To really think about the impact and the power that comes with that willingness to pray, that he depended on the fact that people were, in fact, praying for him. Now, to, when you consider this and you look at his life, you look, we can look in Scripture in Acts chapter 12. The apostle Peter is in a similar place. He's chained to prison guards. He's in a cell. He's being held for what most likely would be his execution, and as he's there, the story goes on to tell us that God's people are praying in another place. They're gathered and praying in someone's house. And as they're praying, his chains physically fall off. An angel comes and opens the cell door and leads him out and leads him back to the prayer group that was praying for him. I'm sure that Paul knew all about that circumstance, and yet Paul does not have the same experience. And while he doesn't have the same experience, he can still speak with such assurance and confidence In the faithfulness of God through God's people praying and through the provision of the Holy Spirit in him. And really what we see when you look at this is is what Paul's life reveals. The book of Acts is a great example if you look through the book of Acts, and you'll you'll see just one story after another, a lot of it happening in Paul's life of circumstances and hardship. One time he's getting stoned, another time he's having I mean, just all these circumstances. He's getting arrested and he's beaten. All these circumstances that are coming out, but every circumstance, the way he responds in that is it reveals that instead of seeing himself as a victim, he realizes that he can be victorious through it, and the faith that comes out of him in the midst of what he's facing it's just—I mean—it's amazing. In the city of Philippi, Acts sixteen, we, we've looked at this, uh, but it's the—it's the people that he's now writing to. He's been beaten. He's sitting in the middle of a prison cell at night, and the faith that comes out of him in the hardship and how he replies to the circumstance is a song of worship. I mean, it's, just, it's amazing, it's challenging. I believe it's convicting for all of us to, to stop and to look and to consider just the, how he demonstrated. One specific story is found towards the end in the book of Acts, and uh, Peter, Paul, rather, is, he's been arrested and he's now been arrested. He's arrested because he's falsely accused, and it's partly where he's now been arrested, and we see him in chains as he's writing this this book. But in Acts 27 and 28, not only is he arrested, he's then put on a prisoner transport ship to try to begin to get him to Rome. And in the prisoner transport ship, as they're going along, you can can read the full account in Acts 27, 28, but there's a certain point where God gives him insight, and he advises the captain of the ship, hey, we need to go sail this way or not that way. And, And he had built relationship with some of the soldiers, who were there but it says the captain did his own thing and they ended up in the middle of a storm they were in a storm and what the Bible tells us they were in a storm at least 14-15 days no hope of being saved no sign of land couldn't even see the sky they're in the middle of the storm and and Paul's faith continues just to be to shine really. The circumstances continue to show the content of his faith and, and his faith, trust in the faithfulness of God. But then so that so they, they're shipwrecked, and as they're shipwrecked, then he finally he he climbs ashore, he's there with the soldiers, there with the other prisoners, he climbs ashore. Then I want you to see what happens as he climbs ashore. There, he's gathering wood, he's gathering wood for a fire with the other ones who are there. Some villagers have come out. Look what happens. Can you put that on the screen, Acts chapter twenty eight? Acts chapter twenty eight verse four, it says he he grabbed a, a piece of wood, went to put it on a fire on the fire, and a viper, a poisonous viper, came out and bit him on the hand. Talk about from bad to worse, right? Acts chapter twenty eight verse four, it says when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, "This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him." To live. Now, just pause there for a moment before we go to the next verse. It says that they, the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand. Now, this, this, when I read this, I don't look at this, and I don't think this is like a bang-bang moment where he, he's putting it there, the snake bites him, and he throws it off into the fire, because that's what happens. Then it says that the, the snake bites him, the islanders look at him, and they see the snake hanging there from his hand. And so I've got to think that Paul's human, he's tired, He's just survived a shipwreck. I mean, we can give him a little bit of a break, and he's he's throwing this fire on the wood, and then the snake bites him. And you gotta, there's gotta be like a, this the shocking moment. He's there, just looking at it, like you gotta be kidding me, <laughs> like really. And so there's this snake hanging from his hand, a poisonous snake. Everyone around him panics. They're like, oh, this guy's dead. Um, this guy is really in trouble. I mean, he just survived this. Now he's got that. Too bad to be you, right? But he's there, he's, just, he's like shocked. He's just looking at his hand, his hand like, you gotta be kidding me. And then in the moment, look at what happens with his faith. This is where his faith just comes out in the circumstances. If you go on. It says, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. So I think, he, Paul, is, I think Paul is standing there. He's got this snake hanging from his hand. Like, okay, like, you're kidding me? And then he sees the response of people around him. And then you know what his faith does? He says, I've suffered worse. And moves on. Like he shook it off. He just shook it off. And when you look at when you look at Paul's life all throughout the book of Acts, and when you look at his the the letters he's written, when you look in Philippians, you look in Colossians, you just look at all the stuff he's written. I think it's fair to say that Paul did far more than just shake off a snake into the fire. When you look at his life, again and again, circumstances come at him, challenges come at him, hardship comes at him, and his continual response is to just shake it off and trust the faithfulness of God. Just to shake it off and say, I'm not a victim of this. My God is victorious, and I can be a victor in spite of what I'm facing, that he chose to shake it off again and again and again. Now, my wife is leading on Wednesday night. She's leading a class called Freedom from Anxiety and Depression. Some of you have been attending the class on Wednesdays. It's not too late to jump in if you haven't. But as they're they're studying the class, the the doctor, they're watching a video. There's a doctor sharing a few things, and then they've got some, some resources they're looking at. The the video they're watching this past week said this quote. Can you put that on the screen for me? It says, A victim may be what you are, but it doesn't have to determine who you are. That a victim may be what you are, but it doesn't have to determine Who you are. And that's what we see Paul demonstrating all throughout his life. He looks at his, he, the faith that he has grown to cultivate in his heart, the trust in the faithfulness of God, the trust in who God is, who God's demonstrated himself to be again and again. And time and again, Paul is put in circumstances where he can be a victim, but every time he chooses not to let that, that, that circumstance that would make him a victim to determine who he became. That he continued to go forward, continued to say, this does not define me. This does not define my faith. This does not define the faithfulness of God. This does not define who I know God to be. And we can see that reflected in many of the things that he's written. Would you look with me in Romans chapter 8, if you can put that on the screen. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 28. He says this. Paul writes, he says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He says, It doesn't matter what's happening around me. It doesn't matter what I'm facing. I know and I can trust in the faithfulness of God that God works for the good of every single person who loves him, who have been called according to his purpose. He says, I don't understand. I may have the snake still hanging from my hand, but I can still declare that God is faithful. And so he goes on to write this. If you could move ahead, looking further on in Romans chapter eight, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He continues to demonstrate, and the things that continue to come out of his life reveal the truth and the reality of his faith. That is far more than just a declaration. It's a way of living. In fact, I think what we see with the Apostle Paul, and, and it's something that you and I can learn from, and when it comes to our faith and when it comes to, a lot of it has to do with what we're allowing our minds to dwell on, focusing on the faithfulness of God or focusing upon our circumstances. That is making a choice to do something that's, that is, than, than having just uh, positive thinking. Sometimes we'll try to say, well, I can, I'm going to grow because I'm going to just think positively. I'm going to think positively about myself, think positively about my circumstances. And that's not at all what the scripture tells us. That the, A follower of Christ, you can grow in your faith not by having positive thinking, but rather having faith-filled thinking. Those are two very different things, having faith-filled thinking that we just looked in Romans chapter 8 is an example of having faith-filled thinking, focusing upon the faithfulness of God and who he is. And really, when it, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to your life, when it comes to my life, when it comes to the circumstances that we may face, that how we handle those circumstances do reveal a lot about our, our faith. And when it comes to your faith and in your life, really, it's got to come to a point where you look at it and you say, you either believe it or you don't. But there has to be a defining point to say, I either believe this or I don't. And if I believe it, then I'm going to make choices in my life based off of that declaration of what I believe in spite of what I may feel. See, so I really believe there are a few things that you and I need to determine when it comes to our faith and how we will respond, really things that, these are pre-decisions, pre, pre um Predetermined responses that we, you and I need to develop when it comes to our lives. And this goes across the board to anything we may face. But I think first we need to, dis, to, determine, to determine that our faith is not based on feelings. That your faith has, has nothing to do with how you feel. There are times when our feelings are engaged just like this morning in worship. There are times when our feelings are engaged. But if all you do is allow your faith To be linked to your feelings, then all you're going to do is have this up and down experience. And there is nothing in scripture that tells us that our faith is linked to our feelings. I've said this before, and I will probably say it again, but when it comes to your life, you need to realize that there are three dimensions, at least three dimensions to your life, that you're an emotional being, that we all know that, some of us more than others, but we are an emotional being. Secondly, you're a a physical being. Those two are very much intertwined. But then thirdly, you're a spiritual being. And who you are spiritually is the primary focus of what we have to make decisions based on. Yes, there are times when your feelings are affected, there are times when physically you're affected, but at the end of the day, every decision we make has to be linked back to who we are spiritually, and who Christ is, and who he's demonstrated himself to be. So, number one, we need to make a decision about our faith, that our faith is not linked to our feelings. If you settle for a a feeling-based faith, then you've settled for a faith that is not biblical. Secondly, when it comes to your faith, I believe that we don't just need to determine that our faith is, is not based on feeling, is that I think another thing we need to determine closely connected to this, is that your faith is not based on comfort or convenience. So often we make our faith a matter of if it's comfortable or if it's convenient. Your faith is not based on if it's comfortable. Or convenient, And then I think the third thing that we should determine when it comes to our faith, and there's other things, but these would be three things to help get our faith kind of steered and focused in the right direction when it comes to the faithfulness of God and trusting Him is not only is it not based on feelings, not, is it, not only is it not based on comfort or convenience, but thirdly is I believe we need to recognize that our, every one of us, our faith always has room to grow. That your faith always has room to grow. There's never a point where you just arrive. Did I have circumstances always in my life where God's stretching me and trying to show me ways that I can grow? And he can use anything in your life. And you might look at your life and say, but you don't know this, or you don't know that. And I would just look at that. I would, when you look through scripture, the example is God can use anything. He used Moses' stick to teach him a lesson in faithfulness. He used used a woman named Esther. He used her beauty to help her lean on his faithfulness. He used a man named Gideon as water pitcher. He used that to give him a lesson on faithfulness. He used Paul's chains as an example of faithfulness. And I think every single one of those for you and for me this morning is a reminder that God can use what you're holding or he can use what's holding you to grow your faith. And it will always be revealed by how we respond in our circumstances. And so I would encourage you when it comes to your faith and what you look at in your faith, perhaps you're in a hard place right now. Perhaps you've just come out of a hard place. Perhaps you've evaluated how you responded in a hard place and you weren't happy with what you saw. Take time to evaluate. Don't just let it happen. Take time to evaluate and then create some growth points. Identify ways that in your faith you need to grow. It might be a matter of when, when circumstances don't come the way you go. Part of growing is what are you going to set your mind on? The faithfulness of God, the promises of God, or something else? What are the responses you're going to have? Or a list of things that can begin to help your faith grow, but then begin to look for ways to put it into action. But I really believe that how we handle our circumstances reveals a lot about our faith. Secondly, how you handle your circumstances reveals a lot about your priorities. How you handle your circumstances reveals a lot about your priorities. When it comes to a priority, if you look up the definition, a a priority is defined as anything that takes precedence over other things. Anything that takes precedence over other things is considered a priority in our life. And many have said that, and I think for all of us, we've probably been at a place where we had what we thought were our priorities, whether it be your priority in your family, your priority personally, your priority uh, physically, all these number of things, things that we would identify and say, these are our priorities. But then as you compare them to what's happening in your life, then you realize that maybe what you thought was a priority wasn't exactly a priority based on how things are happening. Um, And you just you can see that. We can see that played out in life, and we've all seen it played out. Some of the statement that I've heard for years is that if you show me your checkbook and show me your calendar, I'll be able to tell you what your priorities are. What what that person is saying when they say that is they're saying, show me how you spend your money and where you spend your time, and that will help me see and determine what are really your priorities. Not what you say your priorities are, but where you actually invest those things. Well, I really think when it comes to life and it comes to... Scripture, another revealer of our priorities in life, is how you and I respond when difficulty is applied. That that always is another revealer to our in our lives to uh, to the priorities that we live by. And you can see this from the Apostle Paul when you look in the passage in Philippians chapter one. Everything that we looked at uh, in verses twelve through fourteen, he the circumstances are that he's in prison, he's chained to guards. And the priority that surfaces in the midst of it is that it wouldn't be about him, but rather that Christ would be lifted up in the midst of it. If you look further on in verse 15 through 18, he, the the issue is that there are believers with ill motives against him. And he says, but in the end, his motive, his priority is not to be vindicated, not to deal with them, but rather to make sure that Christ is handled in a way that Christ, that people don't have a poor reflection of Christ. And then if you look further in... Verse 19 through the end of what we read. The, the circumstances are around the possibility of his death. I mean, that's a, that would be a priority. The circumstance in his life is the possibility of his death. And he says in the midst of it, he says, I, w- I just want Christ to be seen. And what we see again and again through the apostle Paul when, when things happen in life, when circumstances come, uh, when challenges come, the priority that always seems to, to rise to the surface in his life is the priority that Christ will be seen and that Christ will be revealed. That is a continual revealer of the priorities in his life. He, again, he chooses that. He says there's not going to be one circumstance that's going to make me a victim. Rather, I'm going to always put the focus on Jesus and how Jesus can be revealed through it. My wife has a movie that she'll watch from time to time with some of our daughters and some of our sons. And uh, they'll they'll just watch the movie and as they're watching it, in the, the movie there's a character who, um, she's in a relationship, she's engaged and as she's engaged they're approaching their wedding day and she's concerned, she expresses to a friend concern over uh, just how superficial their relationship is just feels like their relationship has settled for kind of a superficial level. They're both very wealthy, very um, have just successful careers. And so in, in it, they, they kind of have settled just for a very materialistic uh, relationship. And she's really questioning, is, there really, is this really a relationship that's going to last and, and those things? And so she has a friend tell her, she says, you need to put the fire alarm test to your relationship. And she says, well, what's the fire alarm test? And the fire alarm test, her friend goes on to explain, is that in the moment when the fire alarm goes off, what is the first thing that you run to to grab that's going to reveal where your priorities lie? And so her, the, the girl who receives this advice, she, they're in their apartment, and they're in a really nice apartment complex, and they have a lot of friends over. It's kind of an engagement party type situation, and they're just there doing their thing, and she sees a fire alarm on the wall, so she walks over and she pulls the fire alarm. The sprinklers go off, the alarm's sounding, And her fiancé immediately runs, and he begins to grab computers and laptops and phones and all these things. And she's standing there realizing he's grabbing all of the materialistic things while he's not focused on the things that really matter, the, the things that can't be replaced in the midst of a fire, things that are anchored on our relationship. And she just really does that, and it reveals the quality. It reveals the priorities of his life. And I would say for you and for me this morning when it comes to the hardships you and I face that the hardships we face kind of can be the fire alarm test in our lives. What are those priorities that rise to the surface? What are those things that you and I will focus on? I I really think um, for you and for me this morning that if you haven't already done so, you need to take time to just evaluate what are your priorities in life. And when I say priorities, I'm not talking about the ones that you and I would often focus on. Focusing on career, focusing on finances, focusing on on places to live, focusing on those things. Those are all good priorities, but those really are secondary priorities in life. My question to you when it comes to your priorities is to take time to examine what are your priorities in life when it comes to spiritual matters. Whether or not we like it, statistics would say that most believers spend more time thinking about what they're going to wear or where they're going to eat than how to grow spiritually then how to grow in Christ. Statistics will just show that. And so I would encourage you and I would challenge you if you haven't ever done so, take time to begin to examine what are your priorities spiritually. It has to be far more than just getting in church or getting your family in church or completing a certain reading plan. I am so glad that you're here. And and if you're in a biblical reading plan, I'm glad that you're reading the Bible. But there's, there's priorities in life when it comes to matters of faith that I believe are of great significance. So some of the priorities that I believe would be good for you to start with and I would encourage you with would be um, priorities such as uh, how to know Christ and not just Christianity. If someone is asking you about your faith and your, your conversation is more filled about your church than on Christ, then perhaps it's a revealer to your own life of which are you settling for. I think another good priority for your life is is to learn to think biblically and respond biblically in all things. To learn to think how to reflect Christ in all things. There's a number of priorities that I would encourage you as a parent. As a priority, the best priority you could probably have is not to get your kids to bed on time. It's not that your kids will go to college or have a good job or marry a nice person. I think the best priority, one of the best priorities that you can have as a parent is to raise your child to be a productive adult who loves Christ with all their hearts to be passionate for Christ. And if that's your priority, the next thing I would encourage you to do is you're examining your priorities, your spiritual priorities in life for you, for your family, for your marriage, for your children. The next thing I would encourage you to do after you establish those priorities is then take time to look and examine. If this is what you say your priorities are, then examine your life, examine your habits, examine how you respond and ask yourself, does the lifestyle I'm currently living reflect the priorities that I want to have? To do that assessment and examine if what you say you want your priorities to be, if the life you're living is backed by it. And I would imagine for all of us, if we look at that, we'll find many areas that we need to grow in, many areas that we really need God by his grace to stretch us and help us. And the great thing about the Christian faith, the great thing about your relationship with Christ, is that it's never a matter of what you can do. It's never a matter of how good you can get or what you can change about your life. The Christian life, the best way to view it is the Christian life is always lived in partnership with the Holy Spirit. It's always lived in partnership with how the Holy Spirit is working in us. The Spirit of God is working in us and leading us in change, leading us to identify things. Several verses I just want to show you in Philippians, just to show you, this is all throughout Philippians, but just, just show you five verses from Philippians that point this out, that, that it's, God is committed to his work in you, and our willingness, your willingness to be a part, is in partnership with what he is already at work doing. Look at this with me. Can you put the first verse up? In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 it says being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus he's committed to the work that he began in you if you could go to the next one Philippians 1:19 this is the verse we've already looked at for i know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ Jesus what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance if you could go to the next one Philippians 3:12 Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. If you could go to the next one. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And before you move on, we'll quote this verse for all sorts of different things. This is one of the key verses for my family and I that we've memorized and we quote. And uh, some of my kids would quote it before a sporting event, before different things. And I'd imagine others here have that. This This verse I've seen in tons of Christian scenarios and plaques and things. But to put this verse in context, and and we'll look at it in the weeks ahead, but to put this verse in context, he's talking about being satisfied in what God provides even when finances are lacking. It's a reminder that when, so when you're looking at your priorities in life, if you've made finances or wealth a key priority, then perhaps it's time to re-examine what is really supposed to be the priority in that. Uh, Philippians 4, if you go to the next one. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And I think that's it. Is there one more? That's it. That's it. Uh, and there's many more that you could look at and that I would encourage you to examine, but it's a reminder that Christ, that he's always working. He's always working. In, when you recognize areas in your life that need to grow, when you recognize those priorities and you see how far you fall short on those priorities, to remember that you don't have to go at it alone. The best thing to do when it comes to your faith, when it comes to these priorities, is to present them to God and to present them to him and say, God, I need you to help me to know how to grow in this area. I've had times in my life where there will be er a specific area of my life or a specific part of who I am that I'll want to grow in, and I recognize I need to grow in, and usually I recognize I need to grow in that area because of something that'll happen here or something that'll happen over there. So I'll take that circumstance, I'll take that need, that lack in my life, and I'll present it to God, and I'll say, God... Here's this area, and I need you to grow. Help me. I'll use patience, for example. I say, God, I need you to help me to grow in patience. I need you to help me to grow in this. And as I continue to present that need to him, and I may not immediately see a visible result, I may not, visi- may not visibly feel far more patient in a certain, mo- certain moment, but I've noticed that gradually over time as I continue to present it to him and keep my heart and my mind aware of it, that he is bringing me into a place where he begins to provide. So then I'll look back and I'll realize, wow, I, there was a patience there that I don't remember seeing before. But it's a reminder that he's working and he's committed to the work that he's doing in you. But we have to make it a priority and your priorities will be revealed by how you respond in circumstances. And the last one I'd give you is number three: how you handle your circumstances reveals, or rather, how you handle your circumstances always impacts others. How you respond will always have an impact on others. Look in verse number 12. He says, "Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Keep in mind, Paul is sitting in a prison cell, chained to a Roman guard. I think verse 12, he, let me read this again. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him? He's been shipwrecked. He's been falsely accused. He's on, penalty, he's on trial for possibly, uh, that could cost him his life. He's sitting in a, in a Roman prison cell. He's chained to a guard. And he says, yet what has happened to me has actually served Has happened to me to actually serve to advance the gospel. I think verse twelve is a great reminder to you that your life is not just about you. I remember hearing someone say before, uh, just a simple quote, and he said, "The world, with one minor exception, is made up completely of others." You, some of you, will get it tonight. But he says, "What has happened to me has actually has happened to advance the gospel." He says, it doesn't matter how hard the circumstance is, Jesus is being lifted up, and that's what matters. But then look in verse verse 13. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He says that the result is an impact on the palace guard. The palace guard is the imperial guard or the praetorian guard, depending what translation you have. But just to understand this, just a quick little history lesson, the, the palace guard was an elite select group of soldiers, all the, kind of like the, the best of the best of the young men of Rome. They were handpicked to, to carry out special assignments, kind of like the elite force for the emperor. They were handpicked, 16,000 of them, to carry out specific assignments that had direct impact on Caesar or specific assignments that had great impact on Rome. And so Paul has identified that he's been given an avenue into some of the best of the best, And in fact, when his circumstances are, he has these young men. The the typical guard being chained to a guard is they would change every six hours. If there was two guards, there would be two of them changing every six hours. So you take that in a twenty-four-hour span, Paul was continually presenting the gospel. And so he, what he said was, "I have twenty-four hours a day. I have a captive audience to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ." And because every six hours the guard was being changed out, that meant every six hours he had another listening ear. And so, in one 24 hour day, he could present the gospel to at least four, if not eight, different soldiers to hear Christ, to hear about Christ. And in the end, because he was willing to go into this circumstance and not, not be a victim, can you imagine how contradictory if he was sitting there in chains and it's like, I need to tell you about Jesus? He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Can you imagine that? I mean, just how contradictory would that be? But instead he's there and he's confident and he's reflecting Jesus and he recognizes he was given an audience with a group of people he would have never received any other way. He wouldn't have had access to these guards if he wasn't in chains. He wouldn't have access to these guards if it hadn't been that he was needing to go and stand before Caesar. But because of his circumstances, God put him in a unique position to give witness and testimony to Jesus Christ to a group of people who would have never heard it any other way. He was willing to let his faith make a positive impact on those around him. And it continues. Look in verse 14. And he says, because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The rippling effect that the gospel continued to go forward. And he realized that in every circumstance, in every moment, his role, his responsibility was to magnify Jesus. That's why in verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be magnified or Christ will be exalted. What you and I have to come to remember when it comes to our circumstances and how we handle them and how it impacts others is that sometimes we need to remember that the only way others can see Jesus in the flesh is when they see him lived out in our own. Is that when they see him lived out through you in spite of what you're facing that that's how Jesus gets magnified. That's how Jesus gets lifted up. It's choosing to say Jesus I trust you in spite of what I'm going through I trust you because of who you are and because of what you declare. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we close.